How you doing, Mark? I'm doing Hi, well. Hi, Mark. Hi, Marilyn. Uh, so glad you both... <laughs> Marilyn? You're, you're I did it again. I did it Marilyn. again. I, my... You're determined to call me Marilyn Manson. <laughs> uh, Marilyn. Wow, I did it again. It's, yes. I, I got to stop. You can call me Poochie. Call me Poochie if it's easier. <laughs> no, I... Well, she is, she is somewhat of a rock star, though, so we do have to give her that. She she is she is and I I will I will stop looking at my notes because my mind keeps wanting to autocorrect for some reason. So, Marlon, thank you for joining us. Brad, thank you for joining us. I, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to talk to us about uh, your film Besetment. Uh, so first, Brad, uh, I always like to do this with uh, directors. Uh, if you could, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what Besetment is about? Well, I think the first thing to do is to define the word besetment, which Webster defines as being attacked from all sides, to be beset upon. And I was looking for a name. I really always kind of felt this story had a lot of misery tone to it. And I, I actually did look up misery and synonyms, and it's a pretty long list. I came up with besetment, and I looked at this definition. And really the story is that um, of this girl, it, she really is kind of attacked on all sides. And so, and it was different and it's never been used and that's always helpful. Uh, you know, a lot of times we have to reuse film names. So it was kind of, kind of a fresh name to use, but um, the, uh, the, the film itself involves a young lady who is desperate for a job who lives with an alcoholic mother in small town America. And I just thought it was, especially at the time that I wrote it, it was pretty relevant to what was going on in society. There, uh, the jobs were hard to come by, and um, I just kind of thought about a, a girl trying to find a job in this type of a town and pretty much settling for whatever she could get because there just weren't, weren't very many opportunities. So when she gets the call from uh, from Mildred, uh, who Marlon plays, um, she kind of jumps at the opportunity, even though it's a long ways out of town. And... Uh, so I think that you can kind of relate to that situation with her and, you know, sometimes leaping before you look. And, and she definitely does that in this picture. She does do that in this picture. And uh, I will say I was surprised quite a bit with how this film played out, uh, especially with the uh, character played by Marlon. Now, Marlon, what was it about the role of Mildred uh, that drew you to it? <laughs> Brad, <laughs> I had I had worked with Brad on another short um, a year or so before, and I said, any time you direct something or write something, you must write a scene for me because I love working with Brad. He's lots of fun, and uh, so he we did the first little. Uh, movie and then he said well I'm working on it something and I'm writing you into it you will be the owner of a hotel and I said okay so I don't know how many weeks went by and he said well I'm your your part is getting bigger and I said great whatever I, I said you can write me one line it doesn't matter I just want to be in it well it turns out I'm I am the second lead in the in the movie and um it, what attracted me to it was I love to play bad women, evil women. <laughs> and I had never played, I'd never seen a role like this before. I mean, it, you, you've seen it, so you know how strange Millie is. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, I, I would have taken it whether I was drawn to it or not. But because Brad knows me and knows how to write for me and trusts me, um, that that just made it all the more more fun to do. Um, I hope I answered your question. Oh, you you did. You seem to be having a lot of fun with the role of uh, Millie in this. Uh, did you did you do any uh, research at all to prepare for the role? Like watch a few horror films or anything? No, or, no, <laughs> no. I'm an I'm an actress that works from the seat of my pants. Just just give me the role. <laughs> Give me the role and I'll figure it out. <laughs> I, I, I work a lot just from my first uh, my first instincts mm -hmm. uh, that I get. I kind of build on that. But Brad Brad wrote 
he has a way of writing characters that are just, he makes it easy. He, you know, you read some scripts and you go, oh, God, I'll never be able to say this line. This is just not going to work. And I don't like to change writer's dialogue unless I get permission to do it and feel comfortable. I really, it's a challenge to me to try to, to say what the writer has written. And uh, it's, that's just old, early training from, that's just instilled in me. And, but I'm, now, I'm an old lady now, so <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of loose. <laughs> and, and Brad just makes that very, very easy to do. Um, but he does, he does have a gift, I don't think he realizes it, for making it easy for the actor. He, he gives you the character. <laughs> You don't have to do any digging. I I didn't have to do any digging at all. He he writes it right into the scene, and I don't know how one does that, but he he knows how to do it for me anyway. So Brad, and that's when... a compliment. Brad. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you, Marlon. <laughs> I don't know how I do that either. Really, it's uh, so it just blows out. But writing that role for Marlon was actually one of the easiest parts of that script. Now, what she did with it, I thought, was brilliant. Um, I mean, the the arc of that character goes from one polar to the other uh, extreme. And and you really, you know, but I, I, just to be honest, we had worked together on a little, a, a big little film called Big, and it was about Sasquatch, and she played a Sasquatch authority kind of a, 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 a brash well she's she was she was just perfect for the role she uh, studied the uh, the uh, habits of a bipedal creature in, in Oregon and, and she knew what was going on with that but I we worked together um, so well with that and then we also had a lot of time to kind of hang out and get to know each other and and sometimes we would have uh, a, you know a bottle of wine or maybe two and getting to know someone and and seeing the dynamic of their personality over the course of, of a couple of bottles of wine or a couple of weeks of working together in stressful situations and funny situations um, gives you an opportunity to get to know the person and also the actor, which makes it super simple to write for. I, think we ch- I don't think we changed any dialogue that I wrote for her because I simply wrote it in my head as how she would say it. And... Um, but of course, the, the the words are one thing, but the acting and her ability to develop that arc and that character, which, as you know, goes from the sweetest person in the world to the most devilish person in the world in the course of 70-some minutes, um, was, I mean, she's just an extremely talented um, actress and accomplished uh, to the point where I was almost afraid to give her the script when I finished it because I thought, there's no way she's going to do some of these scenes in here because it's just, uh, it's, you know. Mm-hmm. But she did. So, actually, <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was gonna ask you, Marlin, uh, when you when you got the script and you read some of these, uh, what some of these scenes were, uh, did did it kind of take you aback to it, or were you just like, all right, let's go, let's do this? Uh, no, uh, the, the one there was one scene. It didn't take me aback, and I think you know which scene I'm referring to. Yes, because <laughs> um, I, I don't want to give anything away. Um, I I said to Brad, I'm I don't know about this scene. I said, I I can't I can't do this. And I can only do this if you don't show anything, mm-hmm. which will make it even creepier. And because I, I, I'm one of the uh, who believes that the less you see of something, the creepier it can be or the more interesting, because then the audience imagines and you let them and usually their imaginations are much worse than anything you could shoot. But anyway, when it came time to shoot that scene, um, I just... Uh, Brad, I said, Brad, what are we going to do? And he said, well, I just want you to do this. <laughs> and and I said, well, how much room for the camera do I have to work in? And they said, you, you're you pretty free to do whatever you want. And um, I said, okay. And I just said to myself, when he said action, I just said, F it, do it. <laughs> and I, that I said to myself, and I just let myself go. And we got that first master take. We got it in one, I believe. And um, it was just, 
we were all kind of stunned <laughs> because we didn't rehearse it. We only rehearsed the movements of what I had to do, and that was it. We didn't rehearse any dialogue, didn't rehearse with the actor. We just we were all so professional and prepared. So when I just that's a little signal I always say to myself, "F it, just do it." <laughs> I, that just frees me up to mm-hmm. to accomplish what needs to be done. And um, and it was great fun, and there was a and we shot it in a hotel room in a hotel that had patrons in it, and people were lined up in the hallway, <laughs> listening because you could hear us. In this. <laughs> I can uh, I, I can add to the I can add to the to the drama of that whole thing. We shot it. It was a closed set, and it was in just in one of the rooms in the hotel, and. I mean, I'd never shot a scene. Well, this was my first film. I'd never shot this scene. I remember when I wrote it, I really kind of had to take a shower after I wrote it. Because I'm like, oh, my God, that's horrible. But I was I was stuck, and I didn't know. I'm like, well, Billy wouldn't do that, and how am I going to get this to happen like this? And then I went, oh, oh, shit. <laughs> and I wrote it. And um, but, I, but I will say, as far as shooting it, and I can't say that it was a comfortable situation because it was pretty hot that day. And but we did have the set closed down pretty tight. I shot the coverage on it, and then we we, we set for the master. Um, I she said, "Well, what?" Do we, I said, "Well, I I I, I guess we we have to do this." And Marlon just took off, um, in which was thank. God, because I would not want to have had it, you know, like, you know, give me more of this action or this reaction or this kind of thing. Or, you know, she just took off on the piece and, um, and I just let her go. I, I just, I refused to cut it. I just let her go. And I, and she obviously, there is a climax in the scene that she had to eventually get to. So you pretty much, I just let her go. And I'm like, it, the coverage was great. And then I think we shot the, uh, the reverse, which was, uh, Michael's, uh, response there. And, and, you know, that was uncomfortable, but, um, (laughs) it, 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 it didn't take as long as I thought it was going to. Um, and I was so relieved when it was over and just a a little other note on that. There's another scene or a couple scenes in the film. And this is when uh, Amanda and Brad go out for kind of a frolicking around kind of, and it's fun. They, I had split the crew to go film those scenes while we did this, this bedroom scene. And, um, we, we had finished up and then they had finished up and come back. And, uh, we all kind of gathered together cause it was probably dinner time and they were all bubbly and laughing. And, 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 and I remember Abby came up to me, he goes, she's like, Douglas, what's wrong? I'm like, Oh, I'm just telling you, I go that, well, it was, I was having the reverse experience of what they were having with, you know, the, the running around because, you know, it does come to a point where you realize as a director or a writer that you're affecting people's lives here and you're really doing this. And I just have so much respect for the way that Marlon handled it. And we really did kind of have like, okay, good job. All right. That's it. All right, everybody. Thank you. And, uh, and away we went, you know? A little worse for the wear, but the way we went, and uh, as you've seen, have you seen the scene? It's it's uh, it's pretty dastardly. It, it was, <laughs> and I was just going to ask you, Brad, was there uh, scenes that you were coming up with uh, during this film where, uh, y- when you were first writing it, going, ah, maybe I shouldn't do this, or or maybe we need to rethink this? Were there any like? Really shocking scenes that you you actually left out because you thought um, maybe they were too I, much. There wasn't really anything that I, there was some stuff that I thought about leaving out. Um, there's a frying pan situation in there that I almost consider completely cutting because it really does go to almost a uh, a slapstick thing that in the middle of a horror thriller, and it's it really. I thought maybe this isn't going to fit and maybe I was just being ambitious in writing and I'm really kind of a comedy person. So it's very difficult for me to write stuff without putting a lot of comic relief into it, which if you watch the film again, there's a lot of comedy in it. It's not, we played it straight, but trust me, when we all sat together at the Beverly Hills, uh, uh, music hall the other night in LA, and it was mostly just cast and crew. We really laughed through a lot of that movie. 
it, it, because it is pretty funny. And but again, we played it so straight. Um, the the only thing I think that I that I really changed is I think I added that shower scene. Um, that, um, as you know, where there's that situation that's going on in there, I think I added that scene at the last minute, um, because I wanted to really signify the lead up to what, what, what was, what was happening. I mean, as you know, the the film jumps a little bit, it goes forward, then it jumps way back and then you understand, okay, this is what happened. Um, uh, but not really. We pretty much everything got into the film that I wanted. There were some stuff that the ending was rewritten a couple of times. It's certainly not the original ending on the film. Um, there was some good stuff that, that, like I said, mostly Marlon went fully by the script, but there was, you know, a time when she'd just be going in the scene and it would be, you know, one of those amped up scenes and she grabs her, grabs her hand and she says, she says, look at that ring. You don't, you know, you don't just, uh, and she says, I should cut your fucking fingers off. Well, the, the thing was, that wasn't in the script, but the thing was, is just the sheer suggestion at that point in the film that that's what she should do. You kind of think, oh my God, is she going to do that? So those are kind of things that were added in just by her character that I thought fit. And I'm like, yeah, let it go. And I don't know where those little ad-libs came from. <laughs> she was in full character mode, that's all. I mean, when when she was when she was Mad Millie, she was Mad Millie. That was it. I mean, that was it. Just let her go. I love Millie. I miss Millie. <laughs> uh, was there a particular scene uh, that you really liked, uh for the Millie character, Marlon, uh, that, that kind of stood out for you that you, you know, when you got done, you were like, wow. Or you think back and, uh, do you have like a favorite scene that you did that, that really stuck with you after you were done filming? Well, well, that, that, I think it was that scene that seemed almost impossible to me at the, when I first read it, the, the scene with the sun. Um, uh, I, I was, I just, it was it ended up being so easy and um i just hope i don't lose any of my my fan base <laughs> <laughs> i hope they don't lose disrespect for me it's only a film people <laughs> uh i and i no you know what i i just it doesn't matter what the scene is it it i treat it like a shakespeare it, it, it's uh I, I, I take it all very seriously, but I have great fun. I mean, that seriousness comes into the work. It's not something that I that I that I show. It, it, it's uh, I I just love to perform and love to act, and just if you give it to me and I can I get a grip on it, uh, I just <laughs> want to fly with it. And uh, and I'm having a lot of fun these in my I'm in my older years now, and I'm I'm getting some. I thought I didn't think I was going to work anymore, and I met Brad, and and uh, it's he's he's kept me busy, and we've got other projects uh, that we're involved in, and 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 he is keeping his word, and he's putting me into anything that he writes, and uh, so it's it's great fun for me, and then um, and I do other stuff on the side, but. Um, uh, Brad stuff. I just, I just really, I really like it. He's, he's, he's just a peach to to work for and with. Marlon, put your head, Brad. Well, it's yes. Well, I, can you imagine? Like, yeah, the, the biggest thing I have to do is include her in all of my movies. That's like such a pleasure. And I'm, I always, you know, I'll go through a script, and even if I haven't written it, I'm like, well, let's switch that so so that Marlon has to be in the last film that we just shot in December. Um, she she plays a bartender role in there, which is great. I mean, she's great, and it doesn't matter what I throw at her. Um, but I just to to say one thing about her illustrious career, which it is. It's amazing. I mean, this is a woman and actress who's worked alongside Elvis Presley and 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 Bruce Lee and every Quinn Martin production that that I grew up on and we all grew up on. You know, you can imagine what it, I kind of felt like when I gave her the script. I thought, you know, would she do this? And I'm just like so thankful that 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 she did because. I don't think the movie would have worked without her. I just don't. I can't. Who would I have found to do that? You know, I, I couldn't have cast that role. 
I created it for her and, uh, and thank God she did it because, uh, she really nailed it. <laughs> well, it, 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 I, I've got, it, it's just, it's just such a delight. I can't, I can't tell you. And I, and I so look forward to the, the next project and, and, uh, and I don't know, have you, you're, are you still thinking a sequel in this, Brad, or do we talk about that? I do not, I do not know. Okay. I, I, I did an interview earlier today and it was something about that, that and I said, well, I go, let me see how this thing is received by the public before I lock myself, lock myself away in my head for 90 days and where I don't probably want to be. <laughs> Unless, you know, I think there's plenty there for a sequel. There is, and uh, I I like the, the, the whole cast of characters that you have in here, and I was wondering, when you do when you were writing this film, was it kind of tough to keep it I would say uh, with an original twist because you have a number of twists in here Brad uh, that that surprised me this film when it starts out I did not expect it to end where it ended Uh, was it a bit of a challenge to to try to keep those twists and maybe you know give it a little bit of original spin uh, rather than just be the uh, kind of standard kidnap film which we've gotten a lot of over the years Right, you know, and I've seen that in in, in, a, in a lot of the reviews, and I that, that I that I'm glad that 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 viewers get because, as you can see, what I did is I took traditional kind of themes of a movie that should go this way, and then I turn it, um, the love interest situation. That's that is um, inspired by a scene in a film that I thought was brilliantly done. Um, and I, I wanted, so it's just like, yeah, the night, you know, the night in shining armor. No. Um, is it really a love interest? No, it's not everything that you would traditionally think in a film that you would see. Okay. At this point, this happens, this point that happens. Uh, and I thought the fun of the film was to kind of scramble it. Um, you know, in the care all of the characters, which, you know, those come to you, basically through word of mouth um douglas rao who's a, a very accomplished actor in his own right uh is f- from ashland as well who did the uh the pastor band and um i was really lucky to get those guys but a lot of these characters you know i didn't i didn't cast them ahead of time in fact brad the character of brad because a one of the uh, actors didn't it just didn't work out that i was bringing him from la that he could get in in time we had Brad come in the night before. I think he drove seven hours or something like that from Ashland to location the night before that we shot those scenes. So I got really lucky with the characters, but I really enjoyed that part of it because, you know, there's, it's, it's almost that kind of Twin Peaks thing where there's all these interesting people that are just kind of along the way. And that's kind of fun. I mean, I think about like the doctor, like I had to call, I haven't talked to that guy since we shot his scenes and he, he was, he's a Shakespeare actor and he came in and he, he did, he did it like, like a stage actor. And I thought it was hilarious. I'm, I'm like, well, I'm not going to be able to change him. Right. Um, he's going to do what he does. And then I look back at his performance. I'm like, it's so unique and just him. And he did what he did. And I'm um, like, we cut and I go, that's great. No, that's good. He's like, are you sure? Can I'm like, no, 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 it's, it's great. And Douglas Rao did the same thing. And Michael Meyer, I mean, these are just all, I just got blessed with a good cast that had the ability to kind of grab the characters and go with them. May, may I may may I interject here for a minute? I do have to to say that much of my performance comes from the actors and Abby Wathen and the and Mike Myers and uh, and that cast were were wonderful, and they they made it easy because I think one actor is, is you're as good as you are because of the other actor, and that and uh, I can use Elvis as an example. A lot of people didn't think. He was so talented. I found him to be a wonderful actor because I could throw stuff at him and he would just throw it right back. And we had great fun. And that happened with all the, the characters in Besetment. And it uh, it was exciting. And, uh, and of course, most of my scenes are with Abby. And, and uh, she just, she, she was just consummate and wonderful. And uh, so I, I, uh, 
I, I have to give that little bow to her and to the others. Well, that's one of the things that stood out for me with this film is you have a variety of actors from different experiences. You can tell some they've been around, uh, you know, Marlon, you know, classic experienced veteran actors along with newer, but you didn't get that feeling of unevenness with this cast. It, It really felt like everybody kind of was able to work off each other and, uh, I didn't feel anyone overshadowed the other. You're right. These these characters were unique. Uh, did it take you a while to find your Abby, Brad? Um, you know, I'll tell you how I ended up with Abby. And it, it happened, a good thing happened in kind of an unfortunate way. We were working on a feature that we were going to shoot over on the Oregon coast. And we were deep into pre-production and getting very close to principle when the finances dropped out of the film. You know, one of those things, and you know, it happens all the time in this racket. But Abby and I had kind of this very nice, um, amiable relationship, mostly through email. Um, but it, we, I, I just thought she was an exception. I mean, that's weird that you can tell that about someone through, you know, writing on an email or, or a text. But she was quick and she was witty and sharp, and we played off each other really, really well. And I had um, gone down to Newport Beach for a film festival, and I invited her and her friend to come um, to, to go with me. And we and we met, and we started talking. And she's, you know, this is of course after we knew that we weren't going to do the other project. And she's she's like Douglas, you have to we we have to do something together. And she goes, do you have anything else that we could do? And I said, well, I've got this script called Besetment that is sitting on my shelf that I wrote a couple of years ago. I mean, I can pull it down and send it to you. And I said, we can probably shoot it on a really ultra low budget. Um, Cause I kind of had all the locations and all of that in mind. Um, and so I sent it to her and she was just insistent that we make the film. <laughs> so, so we did. And, and uh, you know, it was about 25 days of shooting. That's uh that's an impressive uh, uh, shooting time for a film like this. I mean, you have multiple locations and such. You, you said you already had the locations chosen. So were these all in the same general area or was it pretty uh, spread out for where you shot the film? Most of the locations that we did, like, for example, Mitchell, is about, I think it's 80 miles from Bend, Oregon, which was kind of where my central base was set up at. Um, Mitchell, I had been there on a television shoot. Um, I, I had to I produce a TV show, a uh, hunting and fishing show for uh, about a year. And I'd been there, and um, I, when I, I visited the town, um, when we were out in that area, I said, I, I have to do a film here. This is so crazy. It was like, a, it's like a film set, you know? Um, so, and, and even in writing it, you know, I had this, I had Mitchell in mind the whole time. I'm like, yes, she's got to end up out there. Um, uh, but we, we ended up shooting there. We did split that shoot. We were there for a week and I think we came back for another four days and maybe one night. I think we came back and did a night scene where they, police are running me. Um, but most everything was all within the central Oregon area, except for the church scene. Um, and I can tell you about that in a minute. I think Marlon needs to go to sleep. She's going to Memphis in the morning. I don't want to hold her oh, up here. Yes. She has to be up on a plane at 1 a.m. Yes, I'm, I'm going to Tupelo, Mississippi. I'm going to judge an Elvis contest. Oh, that that sounds actually that so sounds like it could be a lot of fun. I have to get up at one. The cabbie's picking me up at three, and I'm mm. supposed to fly out about five fifteen. <laughs> well, we don't, don't want to keep you up too late, then, Marlon. Uh, I want to thank do you. you. Have, do you have any more questions for me? Uh, actually, no. I, I think we we've covered it pretty good. I want to covered th- it good. Yes. Oh. Well, Mark, I will always remember you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will. I will always remember you, and I will remember yes. from here on out. I think a lot of people are going to remember her for a long time. Yes. If, it you, if it makes you feel any better, I oftentimes get Marilyn Manson's fan mail. 
So what I do is I don't want to disappoint the fans. So I get a picture, one of my pictures with Elvis, and I I just say, well, I'm not Marilyn Manson, I'm Marlon Mason, and, <laughs> and, and, and but I'm in show business too. So anyway, I hate to disappoint them, but this has been lovely. Thank you guys so much. Well, thank you. Marlon, thank you, dear. I love you, and be safe on your trip, and, and get home, and we, we work together uh, in about three weeks. So. All right. Thank you, darling. And, and to all the Besetment fans, or horror fans, please watch Besetment. I guarantee you will be creeped out of your skin. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go to bed now. Good night, Marlon. Thank Good night, Mildred. Good night, Mark. Thank you, Marlon. It's been a pleasure. So just kind of getting back on the, on, on the location um, situation there, that um, the, the, the hard, the, the, the one location that we actually didn't do that was continuous while we were shooting, I actually had to bring everybody back a month later, was the church. Now, to all writers out there and directors, and if you have a church scene, I want you to know if it involves a horror film and you do what we did in this film, it's going to be difficult to get permission to use a church. <laughs> so it was a problem. And trust me, there was a church in Mitchell that was so completely perfect for this scene. Um, but I just could not get the pastor to let me film there. And I was so disappointed. Um, that was just, I, I, I wanted that church so bad. It was just, it just was perfect up on the hill. And, um, but we got lucky in Ashland, Oregon, which is a very film friendly city right there on the, um, southern end of Oregon, right before you go over the California border with Shakespeare, Fest Shakespeare festivals from there. Um, we found a church, a Catholic church that was built like in 1900 or 1901 or something. And it was, it was purchased by a, a private couple that was turning it into a home, but it was a classic Catholic church. And they were kind of, in in the process of doing the refurb, so they were, you know, they they had a lot of it torn out and stuff like that. But I basically had two days to to shoot those scenes. Um, that was the only really uh, difficult part about it. We had started to shoot at a Grange, uh, and I and I I said, you know, look, this is nearly the ending scene, and I, I need it to be a church. It, it needs to have that symbolic nature to it. So. We flew everybody back in and uh, and picked up picked up um, picked up that the, the you know those two days mm -hmm. of shooting there, which you know that's challenging when you got to bring somebody back thirty days later. Yeah, I, I can imagine the challenge, but it it, it worked well. I think it, it, you could tell the the church felt like it belonged in that town uh, that you had come up with. So I think I think in the end it it still worked out uh, really well, and it was a cool set. I liked. Uh, I thought it was kind of fitting for the uh, conclusion of, of the film. Yeah, and then uh, Nona Bingham, who played... Now, I don't know if Nona is still alive. She was 100 when we shot that. Now, that was... It must be three years ago. I need, I need to check in on her. Uh, the, uh, you know, I had, I was, of course, a little pressure when you do a film like this and you have people that are older. You're like, I got to get this thing done before, before people start dying. That, um, I'm, 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 and hopefully she's had the opportunity to see it. But she, she was just, you know, the organ player in that. That was, she was great. I mean, she was like so authentically perfect. Uh, it was so great to, to be able to, you know, to have her uh, for the, for those couple of days and, you know, kind of a trooper, but I, I just love that. But, you know, again, it's lynchy, but in, in kind of a different way. It, it, it's, it's not quite as, uh, obscure as, as Lynch likes to get, but no, your, your cast of characters, I, I like that because it was different. There was a difference because sometimes you get, uh, kind of cliche or standard cookie cutter characters, and you de you definitely don't have that in in this film. Yeah, they're weird. Like the guy in the store, uh, he's an actual local in Mitchell, or was um, Edward Semper. He, um, I saw him, and I'm like, you know, uh, <laughs> that guy, right? I mean, you can't get these. You can't get them out of central casting. Um, and he was perfect. There's a few other people that we use that, that were like that. Oddly enough, the person that I think we kind of had slated to do the 
organ scene was um, who has since passed away is the lady that played the tree woman, or the uh, in in uh, Twin Peaks or the. I don't know the character super well, but I've I've heard plenty of reference to it. Um, but she was the wood. She carried the wood around. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, she she lived in Ashland, and so we were kind of considering using her. You'd be surprised that some of the actors that that live uh, in the Ashland area. Adrian King from the original Friday the Thirteenth uh, is there, and actually I'm working with her on a possible project that's coming up too. So you never know. I mean, Douglas Rao lives there too, and if you look at his IMDb, he's been around. He was in critters and all kinds of different movies over the years so it's kind of nice to have those resources and in, in little towns like that where you would think that you just wouldn't sure uh, I, I, it makes it i'm sure easier especially when you're working on a limited time and budget to be able to uh, have those resources at hand versus... yeah and, and then of course they, a lot like even with marlon like marlon just really wants to work and there's 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 a fair amount of film production that goes on in the northern part of the state up in Portland, but you know down to me are the areas that are really worth shooting and places like Mitchell and Central Oregon where you have just amazing landscapes of of desert or also lush forest lakes. Um, the, uh, Rooster Cogburn was filmed up in Bend. Most of it, some of it was down in the Grants Pass area on the Rogue River. Um, in my first film, Big, I had several of the scenes that we shot were um, identical to Rooster Cogburn. And I really kind of liked doing that. But you can take your locations in places like Oregon and really kind of wrap the story around it where they become a major character in the film mm-hmm. um, on, on their own. And I've often said that, you know, I, I go to locations inspire me for stories so a lot of times, you know, I drive around and I go to, and I'm like, this would be perfect. Now there's plenty of places that I still haven't done this yet, but there's tons of places uh, in Oregon that would be very welcome to having you there to, to film. And obviously sets that you would cost you a fortune to build on a backlot or in a studio. And um, they're all right there and, and very affordable. So Oregon really is a plethora of opportunity for, budding filmmakers that don't want to say go back to Virginia or Arkansas and those kind of things because really Oregon is Arkansas in many many places that are not that far off of I-5 I'm telling you you go 45 minutes east you can get into some pretty interesting places <laughs> I can I can imagine uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah the locations I, I, I like the locations and, and besetment and uh, yeah, I've I've seen other uh, people talk about Oregon and, and the landscape there, and how you can kind of shoot it, and how you can make it fit even for other places in in the country. So, uh, oh sure, I mean you know Canada does it all the time. I mean you really do have metropolitan area, you have coastal area, you have desert area, you have lush forests, mm-hmm. um, you have um, you know lakes and streams and cabins and little tiny towns and ghost towns and um, it's really to me the state is like a big film set, and uh, in from California, it's not that far away, and they have a, a decent incentive program. I've never used it, but I know that it's there. Uh, it even exists for indigenous filmmakers, which is kind of cool. So, you know, it, it is it is a beautiful state, and uh, I miss it. I'm, I live in Sacramento now, but uh, I really enjoyed the opportunity to be able to shoot that film up there and. You know, to go to that town, which I'm going to tell you, that's an interesting thing. That's one thing that you also have to learn as a director or a producer or a location scout is how you go about going to places like this and establishing a relationship and rapport with the, with the local because it, it's, you know, it starts out, you know, the first time you go there, I'm like, hey, I'm talking, thinking about shooting a film here. And they look at you like you picked a booger. And then you come back the next time and you say, I still want to shoot a film here. I generally just spend like maybe uh, like four different trips before we actually bring the crew in and start shooting. But I've had enough time to, you know, have have a few beers at their at their bars, buy a few burgers, meet the people, you know, get a feeling of the location, uh, and develop that kind of relationship. And um, that is a really good sc- a skill to develop um, when it comes to shooting on location in places like this because. Um, the, the the relationship with the locals is really what's important. And at first, they're very standoffish. 
But after a matter of time, they become involved and then they become extremely helpful. And they're, you know, what, what is it that you need? What do you, uh, you know, uh, so they were, they were super, super helpful and they're like family. I mean, we, we took, we lived in that town for, you know, several weeks and stayed at, booked the entire hotel out, stayed above the cafe in a four bedroom flat up there where we had the production office and, uh, you know, pizza parties down at their cafe and, um, they would, they would actually, uh, they, they, it was a cafe and it did have some liquor. So it was kind of like the only bar in town and, and they closed at like 6 PM every or seven every night. But, uh, Tracy, uh, Elmer would come down and reopen the bar for us every time when we finished wrapping for the day. And then she just stay open and, you know, until we were done, which was, well, that that's that's great that they would do that for you. Uh, you you hear some horror stories sometimes of of certain locations, uh, especially when you're shooting horror films. How they suddenly realize, oh, oh, this is what you're shooting. Well, no, now you can't shoot here. Uh, so that's, yeah, yeah, you you don't want to get into that situation, right? You really got to work all that ahead of time and kind of let them know what to expect. Um, you know, some, it's kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because sometimes you don't really want to tell them everything that's going on because they would, they probably wouldn't agree with it. But now, like, for example, the bedroom scenes, all of the bedroom scenes are on a set. Those are not shot at the hotel. Those are shot back in bend in a recreation, um, room, the huge recreation area on Widgee Creek golf course that, uh, Barry Helm owns. And I, I used to live there on, on, on the golf course. And it was this big, beautiful uh, rec, rec center that the the homeowners and it had two pools and three hot tubs and all of this. Um, they had, um, the, but the, the homeowners and it was kind of that down that real estate crash time. So everyone was not paying the mortgages and being foreclosed on, and nobody was paying. So he just shut the thing down, uh, and the pools all went to hell and everything else. But the building itself had a kitchen and had two interior. Uh, bathrooms, and then it had um, a huge rec room where we built that that bedroom, um, and then it had um, a couple of locker rooms and bathrooms that were on the exterior that you would go to that we made for dressing rooms. One of them, and the other was for make air and makeup. Uh, but that worked out really nice because you know the, the the blood and those type of things. You just you, it's difficult to do that in people's hotels. So, <laughs> uh, so for that reason, you know you you build you just frame the bedroom in and, and uh, it's a challenge to shoot it. But you know, looking back at it now, it's pretty seamless. We kind of got away with it. Yeah, you, you can't quite tell that it, it's on set. I think the, the you made it blend well, especially with the. Uh, you don't get to see too many rooms at the hotel, so I think that kind of helps sell the uh, the illusion, if you will, right. magic uh, for right. you know uh, for the police for the police officer uh, station. Did you use the one that was in town for for the film? Yeah, and I kind of have to give a shout out to Prineville, Oregon, which is about fifty miles or. No, or more than that. Maybe about 30 miles from, from Bend. It's kind of a bedroom community for Bend um, anymore. Uh, and it's uh, a beautiful little town. Um, and the sheriff, the sheriff's department opened up the sheriff's offices for us on a Sunday and let us shoot all day. And the sheriff just stayed there with us and, uh, and let us shoot everything, as well as all of those courtroom scenes. I mean, that's a 100-year-old courthouse across the street all covered in ivy. That's the real deal. And, um, and as you can probably tell it's a real judge too, which, which who kind of opened the doors for us to be able to get in there. Um, as well as the County clerk's office, which where, uh, Billy goes in to get that marriage license thing. We shot that at three o'clock on a weekday. We actually shut the County clerk's office, locked it, shot the scene and unlocked it. I mean, we, we had to be quick, but they were just great. I mean, they were just so accommodating. Um, you know, and in a courthouse, a building full of a lot of lawyers, my production manager, Ray Robinson, was, was busy with the, you know, the production insurance papers and all of those things and getting everybody to agree on it. But they did and uh, gave us, I mean, yeah, those, those are priceless locations. And I don't, I, don't, I don't remember exactly ever cutting a check to them or, or, or what the, the deal was on it, but they didn't charge us a lot of money and they were just, they were just super great. 
um, people. I, I would love to shoot there again. Yeah, it, it was a great location and helps sell the authenticity, I think, for that scene. What also helped, I think, and I, I just wanted to mention this, uh, one of the things that stood out for me were, uh, going back to the characters a little bit, were the cops were not actually your bumbling cops in this one, which which was a nice, nice kind of a break from what you normally see for a small-town setting. Yeah, the... the, the... Well, I, now Greg James, who is a very dear friend of mine, he played Sheriff Kalen in that, and I, he's a little bit bumbling. He can't remember the police codes and stuff like that. And I didn't want to overdo it, but like when I wrote the character, you know, he comes in and he has he has uh, bagels. I mean, mm-hmm. and you know, they always associate cops with eating donuts. And so I didn't want to do, I wanted to be different. I'm like, you know, like, um, so he's a little goofy and kind of a little food obsessed. I think you can notice there's a follow-up scene a little later on. He's asking about biscuits and gravy and stuff like that. You're trying to drive like themes through people and kind of like what make them tick. Um, but overall, yeah, he played more of a competent role. And then, um, uh, then, then Julie, who is Hannah Barefoot, who we, we've I've worked with her before. She is an amazing actress. She left. She was from Portland. I think at the time she still lived in Portland. She's now in L.A. and working on. I think she's on Young and the Restless, and uh, she's on a lot of stuff now. I, I told her she needed to go, and I'm glad she did because it's really paying off her. She's an exceptional actress, and. You know, it was kind of funny having these very two attractive people that were obviously had some chemistry um, in, in in those roles. And, of course, super fun to, you know, super fun to work with, for sure. Right. There's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of laughter with those guys, for sure. Yeah, I, I just liked how they were uh, written. Even though he couldn't think of things, when it came down to, you know, doing the job, though, uh, I thought he'd you know, it was great that he just kind of kicked right into gear. And so you, you don't see that quite that often in uh, a lot of films dealing with small towns nowadays. Usually the cops, even up until the last minute, are, are completely, yeah. like, you know, blind. <laughs> right. So, And I think it, again, is one of those things of trying to get away from a lot of cliches in filmmaking. And it's like, well, don't just do what everybody does. I, you know, you have a tendency to do that. It's like, oh, well, this is how every film goes. And I'm like, well, you can take that same situation and make it just a little different. And really, that's what filmmaking about is about anyhow, because everything under the sun has been done. Mm-hmm. It's just about how you put your slant and your twist to it. And I wanted to give him um, just some differences in character, although you have to watch the, the scene when he comes screaming, they come running into the hotel. And this is of course near the end of the film, but when he runs up, we only did two takes on that. Now I'll give you a little behind the scenes. There was a family reunion going on at the hotel and we just shot all of those scenes in Prineville. We said, we need to run out because I did not have Hannah and Greg together again um, on the schedule. So we had to run out to, to uh, Mitchell and pick up that scene where they drove up and run in and then they run out and, and whatever. Um, so I, I had to get them on that. So everybody in the hotel that was staying there almost evacuated the hotel and all stood out across the street as we shot that scene of them running in there. And, um, uh, I know I shot from the back door and then, uh, I actually had a camera set up because we really were minimal crew at the time. And, and I had Chuck Greenwood, who's my DP was doing kind of the front shot, but, um, Greg fell up the stairs on both takes. <laughs> so when, when you see that, he, we had two takes, but he fell up the stairs, both of them, both of both, both, both of the takes. And, um, it might have had something to do with that, you know, beer we drank on the way uh, there or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I always thought that was that was hilarious. It, 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 uh, you know, it, it we let it go. But it's there, and it's uh, it's kind of funny. It, it kind of fun. It, it's fun, but it's not overly done, I think. So, uh, uh, yeah, it, it still worked, uh, <laughs> especially for, for his character. So. Well, one of the, Mark, one of the hard parts about this is that it's really not a horror film. Mm-hmm. And this has been a struggle since, you know, going into distribution and how we were going to sell it. Um, you know, and I think that some of the 
um, approach was, well, let's push it to the horror side because we know the genre is strong. Not everybody in the hardcore uh, side of the genre is going to like it because it's not. It's not really gory. I think there's moments of horror in it, and I think that the topic and some of the things that happen are horrific. But it's certainly not the definition of your slasher horror film at all. Um, it's really more of a thriller. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was, it, we, we've had some, some but, but I think that the, the thing about, and which I've noticed and just by reading reviews, is that you can tell that the people that go into it that are not really complete horror um, nerds, you know, just really hooked to the genre. Um, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, just that some people really, really are hardcore in the, on the genre. Those are the people most likely not to get the movie. Mm-hmm. But if you can kind of go into this with uh, an open mind of it's more of a journey of a bad situation, um, and it has a lot of gears. I think I've counted five or six gears, and the first one's the hardest to get through. But it kind of takes off from there and just starts shifting gears till you get to the end of the film. And I've always thought that, well, if I could get at least get the viewership, I think a large portion of the people who watch it will enjoy it for that reason alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you can tell it does shift gears. And, and I think it'll, it'll appeal maybe more towards the casual horror or, or thriller fan than maybe the hardcore f- horror fans out there. But, uh, you know, that's... Not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, you, you look at the cover and and that and the way that you do the cover art, but it, it does have more of a thriller look to it, even though uh, the, the cover art is pretty scary, I will say. Uh, well, yeah, the, the cover art, we'll see, there's been, there's two versions of the cover art. Uh, the original cover art I did, Daniel Ecop did, who is a very well-known poster guy in L.A., and he, he does a lot of big stuff. Um, and he kind of cut me a deal and we spent six hours in a studio in a photography studio with, with the prosthetic on, on Abby's mouth and all of that stuff to, to, to get that one done. Um, the distributor decided to, um, kind of enhance it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, we, we started having discussions about foreign sales and like, you know, look, this, this, it, it ebbs and flows. Like horror is a harder sell right now internationally. It just seems to be that way now. Maybe probably because it's inundated and, and everybody knows that you can kind of make a quick buck with horror um, without a huge budget or big actors, of course. I mean, that's kind of why we do this genre. But you don't necessarily have to be, you know, produce a bad product. Um, but then, you know, then all of a sudden you run into this problem. I'm like, well, let's go back to the original. Let's change the art because thrillers are bigger now and it really is a thriller mm-hmm. so yeah. it's tough it's a tough business and 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 it's hard to track those trends and those changes that that happen you know monthly it seems well it it, it happens a lot quicker now with the intar webs and such and people having so much available to them i think that helps and hinders sometimes, you know, the 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 transition from one what's one popular thing to the other. It just it happens a lot quicker nowadays, because it does. Um, there there are certainly some some things that are static in the industry. If you're going to do a drama, you better have a name. If you're going to do a love story, you better have a name. Um, if you're going to have an action film, you better do a name. If you're going to do a comedy, don't expect to make any money overseas because they really don't. <laughs> um, they're primarily, you know, a, a, a domestic. Uh, it's a domestic genre, and that's why they, if you notice, all these the comedies that come out are all with like the top comedy actors, and they cost a fortune to make, and they really have to make everything back in uh, in domestic sales, so it's tough. I mean, Europe doesn't get our sense of humor. Asia certainly doesn't get our sense of humor, where, you know, horror is pretty much about a 20% across the board kind of genre. It's like, um, you know, Turkey likes it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Japan loves it, and they're good at it too. I mean, they make good good horror stuff. Europe loves it. So, um, although it's you know kind of hard to be competitive with some of those horror producers over there, they're the French are insane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they make some good horror films. <laughs> they, 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 it is it is tough. Uh, they do make some fun some fun horror films though, especially uh, with that. And so, um, I 
think we're going to wrap it up here uh, for the evening. Uh, why don't you uh, let us know, what do you have on the horizon uh, for yourself, Brad? What, do you, what are you working I, on right now that people should keep an eye out for besides, besides... I have a film that's in the can right now. It's called Between the Trees. It was originally called Mountain Man. Um, it's written uh, by a writer out of Canada. It's the first time he's had a film made, but the story was so good that I had to have it. And I purchased the script from him. I renamed it Between the Trees, and it's about about a guy that's having some really bad marital problems and decides to get away with three of his closest friends uh, on a hunting trip up in a remote cabin when they discover that the real troubles is in the trees that surround them. Um, it's a really, really good story, and I we 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 shot it. I'm doing some pickup stuff that uh, in Portland in a couple of weeks for it. But it's another really twisted film. I think it's better. I think I shot it better. I mean, you learn a lot from film one to film two and to three and four and 20. But I think we kind of were, by the time we had finished the segment, Chuck Greenwood and I were really firing on all cylinders. And I think we, when we reconvened in Nevada City, California, where we shot this, we kind of picked up where we left off. And it, and, and it, it just, I love the look of the film. I, I love, uh, the actors are, are all absolutely amazing. Greg uh, James, who played the sheriff, he plays the lead in this. And in opposite of the character that he plays, in most, a lot of the characters he does, he plays a, um, uh, kind of a goofy guy. And in this one, is not, it's not a goofy role at all. So, and I told him, I said, I really do want to work with you again, but I'm not, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to push you in the opposite direction. And, and he kind of took the role method, which was interesting for, you know, three weeks, mm-hmm. uh, being around that. But <laughs> it's, I think it's a great little movie. Um, and, and I think that it'll probably be a decent sophomore follow up, I hope. Um, outside of that, I bought another script called Flipped that is written by, and Andy Mathis, I believe is his name. I just, I haven't looked at the script in a while, but it's been kind of in pre-production and um, I'm considering shooting that next, but I also have a script from veteran writer, Michael Kane, who wrote um, a movie called all the right moves, Smokey and the bandit Two, Southern comfort, some real classics we grew up on. And he, it's about the dark side of film of uh, horse racing. Um, uh, and I've raced thoroughbreds for, since I think I was 25. So we're talking about 25 years I've been in the business and it went, it ended up in my lap and he really wants me to do this film and I really want to do it. And I'm scouting locations and, but it's a drama. And the only thing more frightening than horror films are making drama films. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm on the fence, but I'm leaning a little more toward, uh, towards shooting the film. Um, it, it's a great story, and it would be a, a very difficult film to shoot. Obviously, we need a much larger budget than what I've dealt with on these last two, but um, you know, at some point, I think you have to take that step sure. and, and uh, just hope that you can cast it right and maybe get it, get it sold at Cannes or, or wherever you can. Um, uh, you know, I, I often think of when I think about dramas, I think of, about a movie like Blue Ruin, which to me was like a, the perfect indie, um, almost like Hell or High Water, but without, you know, name actors. Right. And, you know, Weinstein bought it, but I, I don't know what he did with it. I mean, <laughs> I guess it just kind of stayed, but it was impressive and it was well done. It's, and it goes to show that you can shoot the lights out of a, of a film um, on all levels. And I mean, that movie, the first 30 minutes, I don't think there's any dialogue. I mean, it's just phenomenal to me. That's a phenomenal indie. Uh, and I, that director is going to work a ton, but there's always the danger of, yeah, you made a good movie, but what good is a movie if nobody watches it? So, you know, (laughs) so goes the battle. So it definitely uh, is a battle, though you do have more opportunities, I think, nowadays than you did, if nothing else. I know a lot of my friends who, you mentioned Blue Ruin, uh, have watched it, and you get it by word of mouth now almost. If the studio doesn't feel strong behind it or they didn't put the promo behind it, you still, if it's good enough, it will still get out through word of mouth. And now thanks to social media and everything, uh, yeah, it, that that can spread a lot quicker sometimes. So, uh, speaking of, yeah, I, I agree. 
So uh, speaking of social media, where can people follow your stuff? Uh, do you have a website, uh, Twitter? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, barb, uh, barbwirefilms.com. That's my production company. Mm-hmm. And then on Facebook, you can. Ju- I think just it's just Besetment. Um, I think it's just under under Besetment on there. Okay. And then between the trees, the movie is up there on Facebook as well. But I know that I know that if you go to uh, barbwirefilms.com, and we just put a brand new website up the other day where we refreshed it, refreshed it, and um, and and it's up, and I think it has all the reviews and including a link to yours and all of those stuff and um, and and I think you can get back to to Facebook for all of those different films and there's some other stuff on there I've, I've done a few shorts and stuff like that so okay. you can kind of get an idea of what we're doing and follow along and uh, hopefully hopefully we can you know my goal is to make a couple films a year as long as it's uh, you know uh, via, a viable business to, to stay in. Um, you know, it, I hope so because you know it's. I've definitely been having a lot of fun. Well, uh, I had a lot of fun with Besetman and uh, fun with this interview too. I, I appreciate Marlon and yourself taking time to talk to us tonight. And uh, I'll put links to everything in the in the notes on the uh, posting for this. And uh, I appreciate your time, Brad. I hope you have a good evening. Mark, same to you. Thank you so much, and thank you for that, that wonderful uh, YouTube review. I'm glad we had a chance to hook up and uh, and chat about it. And thanks for giving the movie a chance and, 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 and seeing what I intended to do with the film and that you enjoyed it. So that's just obviously very rewarding for me. So thanks a bunch, Mark. You bet. You have yourself an excellent evening.